This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at Media Week magazine and our new online home, mediaweek.com.au. We chat weekly with people in all sectors of the media and more podcasts just like this can be found at mediaweek.com.au or on iTunes. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast pilot episode of the Media Week podcast. Joining me, Kruti Joshi and Dan Barrett, both Hello. from Media Week. Welcome. Good morning, James. Uh, Hello, James. It's, uh, we're on the eve of Easter, four-day week. Yay, we all like that, yes. Couldn't be more excited. I know. <laughs> what a better way to start it off than India winning that game against Bangladesh by one wicket. Although I know, Dan, you don't give a damn about it. Nobody cares, Crudy. No, Nobody no. cares. Well, hang of course, on. a game you... only covered on um, Fox Sports. Uh, Channel, yes. Channel 9 only seems to be covering the Australian games and uh, promising to cover the finals, although there won't be much interest in the finals if, uh, if Australia isn't there. Oh, so. hang on, hang on. India <laughs> can get in there. And we can win this thing. Now, um, the idea of this podcast is we'll, we'll um, rip through uh, the headlines of the week, um, wrap it up with hopefully in around 30 minutes, keep it uh, sharp and short. Uh, Dan, what's your sort of, what really piqued your interest this week? Look, there's a couple of things because I'm the big TV nerd here at Media Week. Maybe the real big thing is, and as we record this today, exactly one year since Netflix launched in the market. And noteworthy just because I think this year has seen such massive change in terms of the media landscape. Uh, TV broadcasters are obviously changing what they're scheduling. We saw Seven Flicks sort of launch as a bit of a response to it. We've seen Foxtel sort of suddenly, they haven't really suffered because we've seen definitely an increase in the number of subscribers there and churn rates are down. But they've definitely changed some of their methodologies. Uh, We've seen their CEO sort of step away. And I think part of that is just because there is a changing narrative around Foxtel and its value proposition moving forward. And that's obviously in a strong sort of response to services like Netflix getting up and running. And we've also seen responses like Stan getting up and running to compete against Netflix for launch. So they got up and running, what, two months earlier. But even so, like, that's certainly a response to that. And Presto changing their methodologies as well to uh, cater towards the Netflix crowd as, you know, that started to really gain shape in Australia. Um, Have you had a chance to play on Hey You at all? Um, Yeah. So, I mean, you can also look at services like Hey You launching, which is sort of the Netflix for reality shows run by NBC Universal, launched here on Tuesday. I've got my dates right. I was at the 22nd. Uh, Yeah, I've played around with it. It's good. I think we discussed it on the Media Week podcast last week. Uh, But the actual interface, I've played with it now on iPhone and iPad. It's a really schmick-looking interface. If you really dig your reality shows, I can't imagine people are going to be too disappointed with this app. Okay, good stuff. Um, Big week for Foxtel there. We talked about it last week, but a new uh, chief executive has started work. Uh, Peter Toner was uh, in the chair straight away this week. He also took on a directorship of the the 10 network. So big, big changes there for them. Prudy, big week in TV. Uh, Channel 9, we're hoping to get back on the radar with uh, Renault Rumble, but it certainly hasn't happened this week. Now, you're a fan of The Block, am I correct? Yeah, yeah. My family really just religiously watches The Block. Now, does that mean they also watch Renault Rumble, which is made by the same guys, it's got the same host, um, but it doesn't seem to rate as well? No. So, last year, after The Block finale and when Renault Rumble started, we initially started watching it, but I lost interest very quickly. Um, and I think my mum this year seemed to you know continue with her faith in Renault Rumble and so she's been recording it but you know they're not being watched and my brother's not showing that much of an interest in it so I don't think it's holding the same magic as you know the block does it's kind of slipping a bit what was it that made you sort of lose interest in Renault Rumble 
last year I thought it was a very loose concept and also having, you know, the back-to-back the block series I think um, it was a bit much of renovation for me so I just switched the channel to The Bachelor which is my favorite yeah now I presume you're a little bit younger than I think the desired demo really for Renault Rumble I presume like it's probably not really the you know early 20s crowd they're really sort of searching for for Renault um, They'd be happy to have them, though. I, I don't think they'd say no. <laughs> and, but I don't think it's target. I mean, in a way, Renault Rumble's almost a bit younger than the block, isn't it? It felt like that, know. but it felt like they were trying too hard in order to keep that, you know, renovation format going. But, you know, a, a lot of something, you, you kind of lose interest in it. A couple of uh, headlines. We'll stay with you crude earlier in the week. Medium Rare, the publishing company, picked up the David Jones um account if you like so they're going to be doing david jones magazine a david jones app you've i think you've investigated they do i think is it the coles magazine or the woolworths one of those two they also do the Qantas magazine yes i mean you know they're big on custom publishing and so that would give um hardy garrett media which currently picked up just recently actually with the march uh sorry about six months ago picked up the jetstar magazine just relaunched it yeah just relaunched it with the march edition so that's a big get for medium rare content and it's interesting where the uh, custom publishing sectors going because you see more and more uh, brands diving into this sector. Um, Also, you know, with News Corp, with um, the launch of their magazine with Priceline. Oh, yep. Yep. Wellbeing. Oh, sorry. Chemist Warehouse. Is it Wellbeing it's called? Yeah, it's called Wellbeing. So that was, it's quite interesting. So speaking to some of the editors and, you know, um, Jeff Trance from Hardy Grant, you kind of get to know how much you know, where the custom publishing is headed. And it seems to be a bright future, you know, where magazines are kind of dipping in there in terms of their readership and circulation. I think that well-being, is it sort of free with... on Well-being... Or is it, do you pay or is it a low price or do you get it free with the It's a low price. So the first one was, uh, was available to readers for free and it was circulated inside the News Corp uh, daily uh, weekend editions. Uh, now they'll carry a car price of, I think, $2 it is from top of my mind. Yeah, I've noticed some uh, on Mark Fletcher's news agency blog, some news agents have been sort of complaining. I think they're just getting 20 cents a copy that for some it, cop editions are given away, I think. So they're sort of complaining, gee, they're not getting compensated very well by uh, News Corp for, for their part in that process of uh, helping to build that brand. Mm. Um, let's move on. Um, Interesting award this week. Noel Mengel up in Brisbane got a uh, Queensland Music Award. Dan, you would have grown up reading a lot of um, Noel stuff? Uh, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, as someone of whom I sort of grew up in the 90s, early 2000s, where the Courier Mail really became the essential read for a lot of like local cultural news. So Mengel, obviously, uh, if people don't know Noel Mengel, he was a writer up there for years. Stepped down in December, I think, of last yep, year. After 25 years. Yeah, but basically he was the head music writer and eventually sort of head of the arts culture section of the Courier Mail for quite a while there. Today FM were hoping to have a big week. They uh, Sam and Rove did a TV ad promoting a special week of content they had. I think the centre point of that was Caitlin Jenner interview they had on Wednesday of this week. Uh, Kiss uh, FM in Sydney had their own spoiler. They got Chris Jenner on the phone. <laughs> I think Chris is probably a regular uh, regular contributor to that program. So yeah, both both shows sort of going head to head there. Um, Kiss, of course, a long way in front of Today FM. Crudy, do you think the Jenners are going to um, lead to a, uh, a resurgence in ratings? Um, for I mean, like them or hate them, but, you know, they do capture a certain 
traction. They do have a certain uh, fan following. And, you know, with Caitlyn Jenner, when she came out with that variety cover, I think it was, it just went, you know, bonkers. It was viral. So if she did say something that, you know, could have sparked and been picked up by any US medias, I think that could certainly help the ratings and also get the, you know, Roven, Roven Sam brand out there. When you think of uh, things to watch over Easter, the um, the Reels Housewives franchise is everywhere. It's on the new Hayu, of course. It's all over Foxtel. Uh, news this week from a uh, source from our friend Jonathan Moran at uh, Sydney Confidential that they'll be a Real Housewives of Sydney soon. Um, what do you think of that, Dan? Uh, well, my first immediate thought was, <laughs> is James's partner making a phone call to get in on that show? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, okay, what James, was James is giving me the look. The, <laughs> the second thought I had was natural extension of the brand. So you've got the Melbourne, Sydney next. Um, I reckon maybe a couple more years when they decide to retire Melbourne, maybe Real Housewives of the Gold Coast would be the next obvious that one. There was a lot of talk about that before even the Melbourne series started, wasn't there? But it never seemed to get off the ground. There was. I mean, I think Sydney makes a lot more sense because while there's certainly a lot of glitz on the Gold Coast, I think there's just a lot more money really around Sydney. And there's Gold Coast as well, I would presume, is more sort of new money where i think for the housewives franchise to work you need that sort of mix of new and old money and i think sydney you just generally get that sort of better mix and also just the stronger social scene i think exists within sydney so definitely i think that's the next step but i think you want the weird characters of the gold coast to really start to play at some point maybe slightly off topic for media week but you went to batman versus superman during the week <laughs> yeah. now people looking for an easter thrill is that is that recommended? Oh, uh, look, I mean, I had a fairly positive review on the website during the week, and I still stand by the fact that it's positive. It's not for everyone. If you're going in there with some fairly negative views, you're not going to enjoy the movie. If you've got a bit of an open mind to it, give it a look. It's a fun way to spend two and a half hours. It's a mess of a movie, but I still walked away with having enjoyed it. So I could never give it a strong recommendation, but if it seems like something that's appealing to you, give it a look. So if you're a superhero fan... Well, that's the thing. So if you don't mind superhero films, give it a look. But if you've got very strong views on how Superman should be depicted in movies, uh, this, I think, will disappoint you in every single way. Um, I will say Ben Affleck as Batman in this is fantastic. I think he's let down by the director somewhat, but he really embodies the character in a way that I don't think we've seen on the screen yet. He's fun. He's kind of a James Bondish sort of a Batman I really, really enjoyed Affleck in it. And Gal Gadot, who plays Wonder Woman in the film, she's only in it sort of briefly compared to the rest of the three-hour running time on it. However, like, she's captivating. I think that she's definitely a star to look out for. And the Wonder Woman film that I'm just finishing production on now, like, that's definitely going to be a bit of a gangbuster success based on her performance in this. Okay, look, I'll ask you both this one. Uh, SBS Television and their partners, Blink TV, Paul Clark's TV company, uh, exploring the um, the possibility of doing an Asian version of Eurovision crude. Is that a good idea? I think it is a good idea, especially because there is a, such a strong mix in the Asian market in terms of their music. I think they might have to rethink the title a bit. Eurovision doesn't quite go with the Asian market, but, no. you know, that's not a main concern. But I'm very excited to see India's performance in there. And the bookies' favourite, India, would they, at this stage, it'd be hard for anybody to beat India, would it? Um, no, I think Korea has a very, very strong um, oh, yeah. chance. But having said that, if, you know, if India sticks to its uh, guns, like, you know, represent the culture rather than having to, I mean, rather than trying to westernize their music a bit too much, I think we have a solid chance of winning. 
Um, I think Eurovision it makes sense like calling it Eurovision Asia. It really sort of actually builds Eurovision as a brand. So in a few years, once there's a Eurovision Asia, and if this is successful, like I'm sure there'll be like Eurovision North America. Like that's almost a given, I think. So it's extending the brand nicely. I think it's a bit of a slam dunk. I think you look at the pop music scene across Europe, it feels and acts completely different to Asian pop music. There is such a hunger for J-pop and C-pop and all the other sort of pop music coming from this region. It's got great crossover. So Western markets are really embracing a lot of Asian pop music these days. You look on SBS with their um, Pop Asia service, like I think that's really sort of opened up the market considerably. Lots of people are enthused. It's going to do gangbusters for SBS if they get it up and running. It's really just how do you make it work? So Eurovision, there's a lot of interesting political moves to try to support countries over others. I don't think that's going to work across Asia in the same way. So it'll be more of a level playing field throughout Asia, but it'll just be kind of interesting to see how that voting works with countries actually interested in supporting other countries so i don't think you've got the alliances you have across europe so that'll be the interesting thing so i think that the western vote because i think we're more interested maybe j-pop than bollywood music sort of by and large i think there's just more crossover there so maybe that's how they start winning oh for sure i mean if you know if china was going to get behind the chinese music i think you know they'll win for sure but in terms of population there are one billion of us we've got this yeah but i think (laughs) The voting will have to be set up so it's not just the sheer number of votes from one country but rather it'll be split across various countries and there'll be points like there's ways to eliminate the fact that India's obviously got a strong advantage in terms of sheer say, vote numbers. Damn it. Yeah. So it doesn't quite work that way. But it's probably a great launching pad for Bollywood music where I don't think that unless you're sort of engaged in the scene now, I think there's a lot of Western audiences who aren't seeing a lot of Bollywood. So I think this is definitely going to be a gateway towards that for a lot of viewers. I think it's try- uh, Bollywood's kind of entering the you know western music or just the western entertainment scene especially with um the star of quantico she'd already established quite a name in bollywood before she made her debut in um us tv series so it's kind of getting there it's kind of starting but that's not supporting bollywood that's supporting her she's the crossover actor it's not bollywood material in itself no no it's not but it's getting the name there that's what i mean and there is also a new uh there's also an established uh indian actor who's also going to star in the next franchise of the triple x Movies. Yeah, direct to video triple X. We should probably just say this is a great get for SBS as well. I think it really fits their brand very nicely and really aligns itself well with everything they've been doing in terms of catering towards this Asian music market. Yeah, I mean, it could be a real um, viewing highlight for them and potentially their biggest event of the year. And it could make them some money too, because I guess there'd be a lot of potential um, corporate you know, sponsorship uh, possibilities that uh, that could help, you know, naming rights, uh, branding and um, and, and just, just ad spots during the... Uh, and they could string it out to, to lots of nights, I guess. You could have the, you know... Yeah. I do wonder that if this really takes up in Australia, will SBS really be pushing so heavily to try to get an Australian included into the mothership Eurovision or will this actually sort of state the market here? Well, if anything, it's probably a way out of that. Uh, well, that's... <laughs> isn't it? You know, not... Because we just it can't go on forever because it's just, it's just too bizarre having an Aussie there. But so this is a nice mm. segue to get, you know, get us into a, another competition. Oh, completely. Yeah, for sure. Okay, look, uh, the Fairfax Strikers went back to uh, work this week. Um Greg Highwood, the chief executive, hasn't been out there saying a lot, but he turned up on the 7.30 report, um, I think it was Tuesday night, um, and he said, I think the, the quote was, 
we guarantee that the newspapers will at least will continue to exist until at least the end of this year. So it wasn't a massive vote of confidence in the future of print. I think he was probably talking about the weekday newspapers, not the weekend mm. newspapers. Um, the, the newspapers and the digital versions continue to publish, of course, during the strike. Some people thought they didn't look a lot different. Some of the big names were missing, lots of... Um, uh, newswire copy, AAP, stuff like that. Uh, any thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I think you can cover that for a couple of days without it looking too shambolic, but you try getting that for a full week to two weeks, that's when the wheels start coming off the cart. Um, interesting that while Highwood wasn't necessarily seen like out and about, Joe Ashton suddenly made his name very public throughout this. He did. And it was very interesting to see a lot of journos really turn on Ashton in a big way, more than usual. Uh, so that was definitely sort of interesting seeing him almost become the face of management in a way, even though he's kind of one of them to an extent. It's, it was an interesting position he found himself in. Sure, yeah. yeah Joe, I... Joe Ashton, the um, Fairfax uh, rear window columnist, of course, uh, strangely on leave this week as the strike has returned to work. <laughs> he did say some fairly incendiary things though so it's you know sure. it's no surprise that people turned on him yeah yeah, yeah i mean he tweeted out something about him you know continuing work while his colleagues um were on strike and that was kind of deemed to be insensitive to a certain extent and so he did cop a lot of flack for that yeah. well in fairness it was insensitive yeah and someone no. implying <laughs> if they all had that attitude they'd still be working 90 hour weeks or something and yeah no exactly that is true yeah work is right so, yeah um, but speaking, you two guys work nearly 90-hour weeks anyway, don't well, you? Well, James has me on an 85-hour <laughs> week. So, you know, thanks, James. Uh, yeah, you, I'm on 84, all, so... <laughs> you're always on. Look, we're just over halfway through this uh, first Media Week uh, podcast. Um, what, before I continue dominating the subjects, anything on your uh, menu there, Dan? Oh, look, I've got two up? things I was pretty keen to talk about this week. Uh, one st uh, study came through from CRA, so Commercial Radio Australia, just talking about the increase in digital radio uptake. So what they were looking at in a media release they sent out was saying that the number of cars that are fitted with digital radios has tripled in the last year. And they say that's helped lift the digital radio uptake to 25.3% of the population in metro capital cities. Uh, worth keeping in mind with that, digital radio is really only in the metro regions, uh, so it hasn't been licensed for regionals, so that's important. But also, after so many years only hitting 25.3%, like I thought it'd be slightly higher, you have problems with radio in that people have a lot of radios in the home, and there's very little need to upgrade all of those radios, so that's suddenly a big reason as to why that number is so low. Uh, also, it was just kind of interesting thinking about the idea of car digital radios in cars lifting up this figure. And this hit me a bit personally in that my partner and I were shopping for a car radio for her car the other day. The number of digital radios, DAB plus units, they can buy as um, you know factory replacements next to nothing. Like, unless you're spending in the thousands of dollars, there's no sort of lower end DAB plus radios. Two questions there. Mm. Why were you shopping for a... Don't all cars have radios in them why did you need one oh they do uh basically stolen <laughs> yeah well when we you know got the hubcaps off no no uh <laughs> What pretty much happened was my partner got given a secondhand car from her parents. It's a long convoluted tale, but she was looking at her and she wanted a way just basically to be able to feed her iPhone into the thing. Oh, she yeah. wanted Bluetooth in it. DAB wasn't a priority, but it's nice to have. And when you look around and see all these car units that have only Bluetooth in there, which means that she can listen to all the podcasts she wants or stream radio, Pandora, Spotify, whatever else. 
DAB just isn't an option at that lower end. So if CRA really want to see that uptake happen, I think that they really need to start talking to some of these uh, manufacturers about their low-end car stereos, where when people are looking at like a $500 car stereo and you still can't get DAB plus in that, like I think that's a problem. What did you end up settling on? Oh, she just got a uh, Kenwood thing. It was a $500 player that has Bluetooth. So... Yeah, I'm pretty pricey. Now, my other question from your little yeah. uh, rave there about the, the stats they put out this week. Uh, you said people still have a lot of radios in the home. Is, is that right? Oh, I mean, people have you, radios. They're not listening to them, but they're yeah. there. <laughs> Does anybody ever turn on a radio in the home anymore? I mean, I mean, I listen to radio, but I just tend to do it on my, on my phone or if I'm at my desktop, I'll listen on the computer. It just seems so much easier and quicker. Uh, in my household, we actually listen to a fair bit of radio around the place. Always background music, but we've got, I think, two DAB plus units around. Okay. Uh, mostly it's tri- uh, Double J, so Triple J's got like, an audience for older people like myself who are in their 30s and want to listen to the Triple J hits of yesteryear and a bit of new stuff. Um, so we listen to a lot of Double J in the house, a fair bit of Radio National, and then Coles Radio has been a big player in the house recently. Well, interesting, that turned up on that chart of the most listened uh, digital stations, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, Coles Radio, I think it was ranked number three vaguely uh, nationally. It's not that Coles Radio is amazing, because um, it's quite quite good like it's a decent mix but i tend to find that when you go through all those digital stations there's just such a poor mix of music on so many of them that calls radio just immediately becomes the default and you like way. knowing what's on special this week right? oh look that goes a long <laughs> you way can, you can do your shopping list exactly as well. while you're listening to it all you're doing is jotting down things that they have on special um and also those, the three dollars fifty this week james they, they had the audience numbers for the digital digital only radio station and it seems most people on digital are listening to traditional radio stations because those those numbers are still pretty small for those digital only stations i think that triple m classic rock probably my favorite digital only radio station yeah rank number one well i keep coming across like the like 80s stations and that kind of thing and while that seems great in principle you listen to it and the tracks just aren't really those 80s hits that you're looking for from a nostalgia play like that so i don't know it's weird when i turn it on don't you hear the cure immediately i wonder what's going on now was that your first or second thing uh that was my first one other thing was just that twitter had its 10th anniversary Uh this uh, this week so that was on monday uh, they made a fairly big deal about the fact that um, Jack uh, Dorsey's first tweet was, you know, setting up my Twitter. And so that sort of got a lot of play everywhere. And we bought into that. I popped that in my story on Monday morning. <laughs> uh, it's good for nostalgia to see what that was. But I thought I'd throw the question to you guys. Like, we're all fairly enthusiastic about Twitter here. One thing that kind of really sticks out at me is Twitter make a very big effort to have localized offices around. And while I think that's really important from a sales level, they also do a lot of content plays as well where they try talking to local media. Do you guys find much sort of engagement with that? Do you think that that's necessarily needed? Or do you think that that would just happen regardless of Twitter having a local presence? No, I don't. I think it... I think they need to do that because they risk just going off the radar and it becomes sort of some US-centric, you know entertainment media uh, ghetto, if you like. No. I think it's important to push that local angle and to support. I mean, they're big supporters of... Uh, they work closely with media companies here. Any big TV series, they're all over it. The local sports, they get right behind them. There's, they seem to be the two big areas where Twitter really succeeds in sports and in entertainment. Yeah, for sure. I think sure. they've really got to do that. I, I, I also agree with James because I think it kind of helps Twitter keep uh, like stay relevant to the local market in terms of, say, if they weren't um, talking to some channels about you know how they can further their, their relationship, how you know viewers can engage with Twitter while they're watching a certain series. It is very easy for brands and channels to 
move off onto different social media accounts and you know put more energy there. So I think it's very necessary that they have local presence. Yeah, I don't know. I just look at my day-to-day Twitter use, and while I see a lot of the people drawn in for big event TV shows, I don't really see these people sticking around and engaging in a platform beyond that. So I wonder if there is a way maybe to draw in these casual users who are only using it to tweet along with, um, you know, the event reality show of the moment and actually get them there on a daily basis. So I do wonder if those like content plays they're making is the right way to have that engagement. But I mean, I also see the challenges in keeping these people on the platform as well. Twitter demands a lot from its users. And unless you're a bit of a news junkie, it's really hard to find that motivation to stay involved. So, yeah, it's, you know, I, I certainly see both sides of this argument. Yeah, I think it's easy to fall off the um, the Twitter bandwagon because there's just so mm. much there and it's just a bit daunting sometimes. You think, oh, you know, if I've, if I've been off too long, do I need it? Can I be bothered getting back on? Yeah. Yeah. And Facebook's become just so much more engaging in the last like year or two. They've really made a lot of plays to get that real-time engagement there um, really sort of bubbling away. So I do find myself looking at Facebook more recently than I have in the past. I would go on Twitter first for to see some reaction. Like after watching that India versus Bangladesh match, again back to cricket, I went straight straight to Twitter and just, you know, clicked on the hashtag. And I was looking at people's responses and how they were reacting to the game. Um, so I still like knowing what people are thinking in 140 characters rather than an essay as a status. Yeah, but I mean, that's fine again, live events, again, sort of day to day usage, though. Okay. That's true. Okay, let's move on. Now, Crudy, we've got five minutes left. I don't want you to take it all up with cricket, but what, what have you got something else there you want to talk about? Um, yeah, I was quite interested in how newspapers covered the Brussels bombings when the Paris attacks happened you know they were splashed all across the front pages and I was just walking by a news agent the other day after um after the bombings happened and it didn't seem to get that much coverage so I'm just thinking as to like how do you weigh these issues like whether they do get a run on the front page or not because um you know on telly it had the same rolling coverage that the Paris attacks did but it didn't gain the same traction in newspapers I don't think TV actually covered anywhere near as in-depth as the Paris attacks did. I think as soon as the news hit, I think you saw a fair bit of coverage on, but you didn't really see that um, like society really galvanizing behind the victims of the bombings at all. It just I don't think Brussels really means the same thing to a lot of Australians as Paris does. It's not one of those world cities in the same way, and therefore it just didn't really get that same coverage. Yeah, well, I think there was, there was a lot of coverage. I don't know what more they could have done. Um, the, the breakfast shows on... Wednesday morning were certainly all over it, and I think they extended their editions. Yeah, the the Wednesday night was it Wednesday night Tuesday night Tuesday t- night TV coverage wasn't great. I mean, you had to go to somewhere like uh, BBC World or CNN to really get a a, a good um, a good feel for it all. Um, but yeah, I'm just not sure what what you know how much more they could have done. I guess. Yeah, I mean, the Paris bombings, I think because you had a lot of questions with the manhunt taking place afterwards, whereas Brussels didn't really have that. It was, they kind of knew immediately who was responsible for it. Yeah, I get it. There's no ongoing narrative. Paris is really an iconic sort of target, isn't it? Mm. It just sort of, just resonates a lot more with people. Okay, just one thing I wanted to mention briefly, and you you guys might be over it too much, but Deloitte had an interesting report out overnight um, measuring consumers' um, consumption of media and it really focused on a lot of um, binge watching was the big headline out of it 70% of US people now binge watch TV and they average five episodes per sitting so that's a pretty big stat Um, I'm not sure what the historical change of that from the this is the 10th survey Deloitte's have done I'm not sure 
how much that swung since the last time. But Dan, that's that's a lot of people, isn't it? Seventy percent watching five apps at a sitting. Well, I mean, it, yeah, I don't really quite buy this. I mean, I sort of think. <laughs> Well, five apps just seems like a lot. So I think if you're talking about half-hour comedies, five apps makes a lot more sense. But five hours of a drama at once is a bit of a reach. I think three to four episodes is probably the most. Whenever I talk to people about binging, um, I think at first everyone was doing, you know, the 10 episode, ten to 13 episodes of House of Cards as much as they could over a weekend. But more and more, it just seems like people are doing sort of three to four episode blocks. So I was a bit does, surprised yeah, to hear five I guess episodes. it does. I- That's... I'm quite amazed because, like, all my friends that I talk to who binge watch stuff is, you know, they're just sitting there and they're just watching that thing all day. So I, I think five hours or five episodes is a bit less. Yeah, the at the um, was it almost one third do it on a weekly basis. So that's pretty high too. But the other interesting thing is that uh, more than ninety percent of US consumers are now multitasking while watching TV. So how closely are they watching those binged episodes? That's it. That's why I think you got that three episode. Because I find three episodes and then my mind starts wandering on episode four. And that's usually when I stop it because I'm like, well, I'm not paying attention. I'll, you know, do something else and come back to it. Mm. So I, I think that's where the, yeah. It's a bit like reading a book, stops. isn't it? When you get to the end of a page and go, oh, I can't remember what I just read. So you, that, that's you realize exactly you've watched it. So you've either got to <laughs> go, yeah, I'm over this book or you've got to just go back and reread it. Mm. A lot of people from the first episode, when they, you know, hit play, they're already doing something else. They're already on Facebook or they're checking their Instagram. So um, they're already multitasking in a way from the very, you know, get go. So I don't, yeah, I, I don't, I don't completely buy into this. See, I don't think everyone is. I think you've just got a very short attention span. Oh, um, is yeah, it maybe. a Denmark problem? <laughs> All right, look, we'll, we'll wrap this up in a second. Uh, I'll throw this at you now. You've had no advance warning list, but I'll get you both to finish on one item for the week that you just liked or was a highlight or maybe it's a preview for something next week. But I'll start. I've just got to pick uh, the cash cock. I'm sorry, that was, that was my... <laughs> James is all about the cash cock. <laughs> that was my Winning highlight the of the week. The um, Kiss FM, the Kyle and Jackie O show, they launched this little uh, promotion to uh, give away some money, you know. Uh, Sunrise had the cash cow. I think the Today Show on Nine has the cash block or the block of cash, one or the other, but the cash cock was hilarious. You can't have too many cock jokes on, on breakfast radio, <laughs> and it was just great. I mean, Kyle was off for a couple of days this week. He's uh, gone to the funeral of his dad, sadly passed away last weekend, but before he went, he had time to help launch the cash cock. So it was just a lot of fun. So I'm not a regular Kyle and Jackie O listener at all, really. Um, what do they do when Kyle is away? Do they bring in a guest host, or does it just... They Jackie... do bring in a guest host. Yeah, Maddie. Uh, Acton uh, comes in, sits along with um, Jackie. He's, he's the drive show sort of anchor on um, on Husey and Kate, the Kiss FM network drive show. And so he gets up early and yeah. comes in on most days when Kyle's not. Is there. he seen as a bit of a rising talent, or is it one of these things where you hear the old thing with the old uh, like late show hosts, where you never go on holidays because the person who comes in and replaces you? Yeah, no, yeah. Maddie Acton's good, but yeah, I don't think. Um, I don't think he would see himself as a Kyle replacement, certainly not <laughs> no. in the short term. Yeah. And I think Kyle would It's funny you mentioned the cock jokes because I turned on Kyle and Jackie O for about five minutes the other day. The whole segment was on prosthetic penis and so they got someone <laughs> in from UK talking about it. Well, there's a message there for other shows that want to um, steal their ratings. Dan, okay, what's your highlight for the week? Uh, the thing that on? really caught my attention, and we didn't cover this on Media Week because it was really just a retail play at this stage, uh, PlayStation announced their PlayStation VR platform and the retail availability of it. 
So this is, we've heard a lot about Oculus Rift as a VR headset coming out. To get that, you either need a smartphone. It's not really the uh, most sophisticated solution for virtual reality. Mm. But PlayStation VR is very much a um, heavy game um, environment. So that's what's going to drive a lot of virtual reality at first. So Sony's embraced their PlayStation VR in a huge way. I think they said there'll be 50 games available at launch in October when that comes out. Uh, But what was really phenomenal about this is the price point they've announced to that. So in Australia, you'll be able to get the uh, PlayStation VR and I've forgotten the exact dollar figure, but it was five forty nine or five ninety nine. Wow. So it's still you have to be dedicated to want to be able to buy it. But that's much but- cheaper than you're finding with a lot of the competition. And when you actually consider what the hardware is, you're looking at um, a high definition abilities for your screen. Still has to plug into your PlayStation, so there'll be a cable running from your headset to the machine. But you'll be able to also do things like watch movies and TV shows through this. It's a sophisticated bit of equipment for what's a relatively low price. Compare that price to a phone. Still a little VR skeptic, I'm afraid. I'm just much, not sure how it's going to How much have you played with it, though, James? I think when you really put um, on the headset. Zero, but I just don't have the desire, you know. I enjoy my media now, and I just, you know. This oh, I want to see surround. Uh, and I'd just, what about the little cardboard Google sort of visor which is like 20 bucks yeah so google and then cardboard, a free app and away you go google cardboard it works fine but when you actually play with the difference of a dedicated headset against like google cardboard you realize google cardboard's a good entry level uh, bit of a way to play with vr and get a feeling for what it can mm. be but you don't actually really get to experience vr until you do it in a sophisticated yeah, way all right. well i'm an old guy and i'm sure there's lots of younger people but i also play video games play here and there and i'm, I'm like while well, i'm skeptic about the fact that it kind of alienates the experience so if you're playing with someone you have this headset on it's just not you know that direct face-to-face interaction but i'm quite excited by this okay Crudy, finish up with you today. You know, with the Easter long break coming up, I need to get back to cricket because <laughs> Australia has two games. So one's tomorrow and the other one's on Monday morning. So it being like a public holiday, everyone has plenty of time to sleep in. Um, but I'm very excited because Australia needs to win the next two matches in order to get through to the next stage. Uh, Pakistan and India both need to do the same. So it will be a very, very exciting game. So it means one of those three teams won't make it. So that is correct. So yeah, I think be a uh, tragedy from nationally for either of them, yeah, or either of them. Yeah, the only uh, the only uh, team that's you know secured this spot in the next um, stage is New Zealand, who've been just doing so well. They're just thrashing anyone who comes in their way. Okay, great team. Look, have a great Easter. Um, thanks for taking part in um, episode one of the Media Week podcast. Let's see how long we keep this up. There might be an episode two. The plan is every Friday. Okay, all right. Yeah. Good on you, all even right. though we're starting on a Thursday. Yeah, well, yeah. it's a special well, week. You know. And we'll try and get it up straight away. R- reminding people, check out the website, mediaweek.com.au. Also, find us on Twitter and Facebook, Media Week AUS. Yeah, and we've got a long um, feature up about that Deloitte research too with sort of even, and then some links if you really want to get further into it. But it's interesting stuff. Okay, see you next time. Happy Easter.